Well, like uh, all of Columbia, it's kind of nice in the summer when there's a little more room in here, and uh, you get to spread out a little bit, do snow angels if you want. No, I'm kidding. But uh, it is nice sometimes, almost like a small church. But if you have your Bibles, turn to James chapter 4. We're finishing up, coming kind of near the end. Finish it this month. Our sermon series on the epistle of James. We're in chapter 4. We're going to look at verse 13. And while you're turning there, I want to introduce a video. I bet many of you have already seen it. It's kind of making its round recently on social media over the weekend. Several people I follow on Twitter I saw have uh, tweeted it. Depicting a conversation you've never had, but if you're married, it will look very familiar to you. Let's take a moment and watch this short video. It's just, there's all this pressure, you know? And sometimes it feels like it's right up on me, and I can just feel it, like literally feel it in my head, and it's relentless, and... I don't know if it's going to stop. I mean, that's the thing that scares me the most is that I don't know if it's ever going to stop. Yeah. Well, you do have a nail in your head. It is not about the nail. Are you sure? Because, I mean, I'll bet if we got that out of there... Stop trying to fix it. No, I'm not trying to fix it. I'm just pointing out that maybe the nail is causing... You always do this. You always try to fix things when what I really need is for you to just listen. See, I don't think that is what you need. I think what you need is to get the nail See, you're not even listening now. Okay, fine. I will listen. Fine. It's just... Sometimes it's like... There's this achy... I don't know what it is. And I'm not sleeping very well at all. And all my sweaters are snagged. I mean, all of them. That sounds really hard. It is. Thank you. Ow! Oh, come on! Ow. If you would just don't try to see things my way. Looks familiar, huh? There are many dynamics in relationships, and uh, it seems like many of you relate to that being certainly one of them. Uh, it obviously pre. It presumes the husband can see the nail. We'll grant that just for the fun of the video. Uh, but it, these are things that are typical patterns in relationships. But, but no doubt uh, it's over the top, but there is a truth there. But not so much, I'm not concerned so much whether or not that's a truth in relationships. We can talk about that another time. But there's a truth there, I think, in something that is true for all of us. It's a true picture of a person's chronic problem with certain chronic problems. But none of the pain and hardship was really necessary. There really is a problem that might be a simple solution that is causing all the pain that's felt and the things that are sort of chronically experienced. And it's a lighthearted way of suggesting that perhaps the real solution to all the complicated problems in our life is more simple than we might think. I had lunch with a guy this week who said it, I think, this way. He says that he had discovered a life-altering truth for himself recently that he's learning. He said, life's not really all that complicated. We just make it so. Life is pretty much about acknowledging that God is God and that I'm not. 
Now, that might seem like an oversimplification to you, but maybe it's not. Maybe it really is as simple as that. I think that's his way of saying what James says in our passage here today in verse 13. Let's just go ahead and read it. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not even know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. All such boasting is evil. Really? I mean, when you read that, you might be asking yourself, okay, I get that arrogant boasting is evil, but where was the boasting? Where's the evil? Did I miss a verse? Did a verse get erased? Where's the boasting evil? What arrogant mistake are these people making in their life assumptions that such an evil, but evil's a strong word in the Bible, an evil boasting, and they don't even see it? Kind of like the nail drilled right into the forehead that you don't know and don't acknowledge is there. You just feel its pain. And you experience signs of its dysfunction, but somehow you can't see that it's there. I mean, can you really boast about something you don't know you're boasting about? Can you be arrogant about something you don't know you're being arrogant about? Up until now, all the ways that James says pride works its destruction into our lives, and that's what he's been talking about here in chapters 3 and 4, well, all those issues that we've looked at have been sort of obvious issues that we understand as dysfunctional and negative to ourselves, negative to our lives. We don't want them. Jealousy, bitter envy, conflict, judging others, defaming others, gossip, slander, selfish ambition. We looked at all these, and we see... Few of us want these ugly. Few of us want these life-wrecking dysfunctions in our life. We can see, we can connect the dots, how they are prompted by pride. That makes sense to us. But now he's talking about how pride, how arrogance, it actually fools us into believing in a kind of evil presumptuousness about our life plans. And we don't even see how it works. It's not even obvious that it's pride. And I think that the evil arrogance of this presumptuousness becomes more clear to us. It becomes more understandable when we answer James's big question in verse 14. What is your life? You ever asked yourself that question? Do you have an answer? <laughs> you ever asked an answer? What is your life? I mean, it when you think about it, I, I think it's an important question, yeah? What's your life? Do you have a true view of your life? Have you thought it through? See, here, here's what James says is the true view. Actually, he says three things. It's not quite obvious. It's subtle. But let's, the first is this. Here, this is the big reality about your life. The first is that he says you're a mist. <laughs> you're like a mist. Your life, he's answering the question, is a mist. What, verse 14, what is your life? Answer, for you are a mist 
that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Kind of like morning fog over a lake. James says that you have no firm existence, no firm presence, permanent presence, no firm substance on this earth. You might feel like you do, but that's, you're being fooled. The truth is, in the real world that exists, your life is as temporary, your life is as fragile as mist that appears for a little while, a little time, just a little while, just a little mist, just, oh, it's gone. And James is saying that if we see our lives in this world as anything more than that, we're being fooled. We're being fooled by a, an arrogant kind of boasting. We're boasting about something inside. We don't even realize we're doing it, but we're being fooled by something that's not real. James says, keep in mind that you will, you will disappear. You will be gone. And this world will go on without you all far sooner than you think. I remember walking on the beach years ago with my father-in-law. We were watching a sunset together, and I think the sunset kind of made him symbolize the sunset of his life. He's 80-something years old. And he just quoted that verse. What is your life? I didn't know what he was doing. I thought he was talking to me. He just, what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. You know, we hear older people talk like this. Boy, life went by so fast. Do you have a life lesson for me? Person in your 70s, 80s, yes, it's this. Life goes by so fast. You've said it, you empty nesters. Boy, it seemed like I was changing their diapers and then I blinked and they're going to college. Life goes by so fast. People that have sort of a transcendent wisdom all say the same thing far sooner than you think. Guess what? It's not just a depressing, melancholy thought that people have in their bad moments. It's what the Bible teaches. Those things are true. That's real. They're touching reality when they say those things. And, and that if you don't have that grasp, that view of life, of your life, you're just a mist that appears for just a little while and vanishes. You're being fooled by arrogant boasting. There are certain events in our life that hit this home more than others. Yeah. I wasn't here last Sunday because I was doing the funeral of my mom. Now you know I've been talking here about her dementia over the years. Uh, in her situation, death was a relief. But nonetheless, she wanted to be cremated, so we were there last weekend, and because of cremation, all those kinds of things. There's a, a, a small hole in the ground, tombstone already there, memorial stone already there with my mom's name, born 1927, to, or just 1927 to 2013. You always kind of imagine that fearful image as a kid. There comes a point in your life where you see it. And I remember holding my mom's ashes in a little coffin-like marbly urn thing. Heavy, but just full of ashes. My job was to take that in the service and to place it into the hole. 
And I remember thinking as I held my mom's ashes, I just remember having this thought, thinking to myself, this is what all of your life comes down to? Someone is putting a box of your ashes in a hole? All of my life, all of my mom's life, ended this way, comes all the way down to this, a box of ashes I'm putting in a hole. Now you might think, well, you know what, guess what? She lives on in you. It's not only just ashes. I'm going to be a box somebody puts into a hole. It all goes in a box in a hole in the end. If there's no resurrection. If the gospel's not true. If Jesus didn't come and die and rise from the dead. This should humble us, James says. This should cause us to have a different view of everything in our lives. That's, that's the first humbling reality about your life. It's quicker than you think. It's like a mist that appears for just a little time and then it vanishes. Ashes in the ground. Literally. There's another thing he says. He says you live moment by moment only by God's will. Let's look at this. Verse 15, he says, Instead you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. See, when he says, if the Lord wills, we will live, we will live if, and only if, God wills. What he means is that the very existence of our lives and every moment of our lives is entirely just simply by, only by the will of God. Remember we look back in chapter 3, verse 9, everyone is created in God's image, James says. He's simply quoting what the Bible says in its very first chapter. And we discussed a few weeks ago that in, that, in that sermon how one of the most significant things that that means is that God owns us, every human being. It's what Jeremiah, the prophet, Old Testament prophet Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 10, 23. He says, Lord, I know that people's lives are not their own. It is not for them to direct their steps. It's a wisdom that people see that aren't being fooled. Psalm 103 says no, 100 verse 3 says, Know that the Lord is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. See, these are simple Two plus two equals four kinds of phrases that have incredibly profound, important implications. Psalm 139, verse 16, David prays to God, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Ordained by whom? God. I don't understand that verse. But somehow, Bible says, God says in his word, that all the days, every single day we live, not one more, not one less, all the days ordained for us, somehow, some way, were already ordained by God, decided by God, written in his book. <laughs> you didn't get the point. Before one of them came to be. Now think about that. Again, very simple but profoundly important life-altering reality about your life. 
Here's a life-altering reality, a life-altering wisdom in James and all the Bible. Our lives are not ours. God created each of us for his purpose, and he owns us. We live each moment only by his will. That heartbeat, that breath of air, guess what? That's only because God willed it one more time. Every day we live is alone because we don't own us. God owns us, and every day we're leasing our life. At least on life is a cliche because it's true. Your life is not your own. It belongs to God. God has decided how long you live and when you die. And every day we live on this earth, we are leasing God's property, this life. We're leasing God's property. He made us and he owns us. That's what James is saying. That should humble us. Change how we view everything, every moment. So James is saying that when we think about, when we talk about our life, when we think about, when we talk about our plans without reference to the owner, with the ownership of God, the lordship of God, we're subtly, in in subtle ways, we're denying that God owns us. And we're denying that we live each next moment only by his will. He says that's an arrogant, evil Boasting. You don't know you're doing it, but you're doing it. So, 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 so let me ask you a question. Think about it. How have you talked about your life's plans? How do you mostly talk about what you're going to do, when you're going to do it, what you're gonna, where you're going to live, where you're going to move, what job you're going to take, who you're going to marry? Are these things that are just sort of you talking to yourself, or is there something humbling you in those decisions, even in those decisions? See, James is saying that your life plans, my life plans, are arrogantly and boastfully and foolishly offline with reality whenever we forget this in our view of our life. The implications of this are enormous. I like how Rick Warren puts it in his book, The Purpose Driven Life. If you haven't read that book, I strongly recommend it. It's a really good book. But here's what he says, and I like this quote. He says, you're not an accident in spite of what our culture tells us. You're not an accident. Your parents may not have planned you, but God did. He wanted you alive and created you for a purpose. Focusing on yourself will never reveal your purpose. You were made by God and for God. A lot of verses in the Bible say that. And until you understand that, life will never make sense. Only in God do we discover our origin, our identity, our meaning, our purpose, our significance, and our destiny. Well, that's what it means to be humbled by the reality that life is short and God determines how long it is. He owns us. Our life is alone. And there's a third one that should humble us. You're not in control of your life near as much as you think you are. And when we forget that, we are arrogantly but foolishly trying to live a a godless life. In the literal sense, godless. God is out of the equation. God is out of the view life. In the sense that we're ignoring God. The The only one truly in charge of all of our life circumstances is the one we're ignoring. (laughs) That's arrogance. That's boastful. As we plan out our life. 
That's what James says, verse 13. Come now, almost laughing. (laughs) Come now. Who are you? Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. You know how it is, right? You've got this story in your mind of how your life is supposed to be. You measure, you measure your life against this story you have in your mind of how your life is supposed to be, how your life is going to be, how your life needs to be for you to be happy. You've got that story in your mind. The only problem is you're not the author of your life story. That causes problems. That causes all kinds of problems and dysfunctions in our life. Here's an ancient wisdom, no doubt something James is borrowing from in the Old Testament book of Proverbs 27, verse 1. Do not boast about tomorrow. Here's why. For you do not know what a day may bring. You don't know what a day may bring. We have so many reasons to be humble that it really should be the easiest command in the Bible to obey. (laughs) If we really see reality, that, that not just because our life is so temporary, not just because we live moment by moment only by God's will as a gift, but also because we're not the ones who control our life as much as we think. God does. The reality is you never know when you wake up what that day will hold. That's just not a cliche. That's just not ancient wisdom because people kind of poetically say these things. It's just reality, right? I mean, you know this, that most of our life's most altering events happen suddenly and unexpectedly. The things that will alter your life most happen suddenly and they happen unexpectedly and most are absolutely out of our control. Yeah, yeah. An accident on your way to work. A flooded basement this week because of the rain. Who would have thought that a week ago? A a financial crisis that happens, all of a sudden, all of a sudden something happens, a big expense you didn't anticipate, loss of a job you didn't anticipate, the bad news you get from a doctor, a lump, something, a spot on the x-ray. All these things happen suddenly and unexpectedly. The things that happen to our kids, we don't anticipate. They happen suddenly and unexpectedly. The things that happen to our loved ones, happens to our loved ones. Just, just the things you read about in the news in our country, things that you don't believe should happen, wouldn't happen. You need bombings, a, a, a building collapses. Just walking down the street and a building collapses. What? A bridge collapses. You're driving over a river like we do all the time and it collapses? You're walking in California and a shooting this weekend? A bombing trying to finish a race? What? A tornado? All of a sudden, you have no idea. You're waking up. You don't know that today your city's going to be wiped out by a tornado. And I hear, I watched MSNBC's Morning Joe, one of my favorite news programs. I podcasted. And I, on Monday, they're talking about the tornadoes that hit. Oklahoma and Missouri last weekend, and they keep using the word unbelievable, unbelievable. Is it? 
I mean, how old do you have to be to have a memory of so many tornadoes that have wiped out cities? I think of my childhood in Marion, Illinois, wiped out by a tornado. These things happen. They happen. We're not in control. We shouldn't use the word unbelievable. Unanticipated, but not unbelievable. See, all the evidence all the time keeps telling us that we never know what a day will bring. Just a fact. And boasting as if we control how our lives will go tomorrow, let alone a year from now, is simply delusionally unaware of reality inside God's universe. It's arrogant. It's boastful. It's evil. He says, verse, come now, let's read it again. You who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit, yet you don't even know what tomorrow will bring. Instead, you ought to say, verse 15, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. And as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. See, here's what I think is the big evil Strong word in the Bible, by the way. Here's what I think is the big evil arrogance. They have merely a horizontal view of their life without vertical awareness and submission to the lordship of the vertical God that controls all things, including their very life. Merely living their lives on the horizontal. You might say they are stuck in seeing life only in 2D. Backward, forward, left, right. None of this up and down stuff. That's just too complicated. They live their life on the practical level only in 2D. They viewed life and their life merely on the plane of the horizontal without reference to God in the practical, without the vertical in the practical. And this is practical atheism. It's living our practical life without God. It's literally a godless absence of God life in the very practical reality of our day. And we live like that far more than we realize, I think, especially in the practical level. That's what James is talking about. And this is exactly the problem with this horizontally minded, this 2D minded man that Jesus talks about in Luke chapter 12, verse 16. He says, and then he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. Now he thought to himself, see now we're seeing how this works. He lives only on the horizontal. He has no reference to the vertical. So the only thing he can do is talk to himself about how to respond and how to plan. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. This is what I say to myself. i got nobody else to talk to. I say to myself, take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Two scary words, but God. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. See, I own your life. I determine every moment you live. Your life is on loan from me, and guess what? The loan is up tonight. You fool. You thought you controlled your life. You thought you controlled your life circumstances. I control even the ground that produces a harvest comes from me. You fool. You missed it. You lived in 2D in a 3D world. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? And Jesus goes on to say, this is how it will be with those who store up things for themselves but are not rich toward God. 
This fool was fooled by his own arrogant boasting by looking at life on the practical level only in 2D. He forgot his life was only temporary and shorter than he realized. He forgot his life was only alone from God, and that loan will be up. He forgot his life was not really under his control after all. He was talking to the wrong person in all of his planning. He was living his life merely horizontally in 2D without vertical awareness and therefore under the illusion of prosperity when in reality he was in utter poverty. That's what happens in 2D. You don't get to see reality. Reality's in 3D. It's also ordinary, also natural, also practical, and that's exactly the point. We speak to ourselves as if life is our right, as if our practical life is our choice, as if just living our lives and making money and doing our dreams of success and doing well is is what life's sole objective is. And on the practical level, we act as if our life is our own. We plan, we dream, we think as if our lives are our own. And because the major premise of that belief is absolutely false, our lives break down because they're offline from the reality inside God's universe. When I'm merely horizontally minded, living my life in 2D and vertically unaware, my whole life, including my practical life, is offline with reality. The people James is talking about here are likely very capable people when it comes to the horizontal. They're probably good at deciding where to live. They're probably pretty good at making a trade and making, doing trade and making a profit. But they are utterly blind in perceiving the greater dimension of reality because they are arrogantly, boastfully, foolishly unaware of the vertical reality in the practical of their life. And James says that thinking about, talking about, and planning for our lives on the practical level without understanding the reality of, of God on the vertical is just not just simply foolish. It's evil. What was so evil? All they said in verse 13, this is what all they said, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. <gasps> That is evil. No, it's just the problem is, it's just very practical on a 2D level without a 3D reality. There's no vertical. That's all they said. And James calls it boasting and says it's rooted in arrogance because it's really just another way of saying God doesn't own me. God doesn't control my life. It's my life. It's my decision. I run my life by my priorities, by my dreams of success, by my career, by my money, in my timing. And James says all such boasting is evil. The Greeks had a a word. The ancient Greeks had a word for that kind of pride. They called it hubris. It appears a lot in the Greek tragedy. It's the pride and ambition that leads to the downfall of a hero in a classic story. It does lead to a downfall in all of our lives on the most practical level. 
worry, things we fear about the future, worry, anxiety, fear, confusion, or things in the present, anger, paralyzing indecision, insecurity, comparing ourselves to others. These are all the feelings and the thoughts of somebody who has a nail driven in their head, but they can't feel why they're so, they don't know why they're so achy. Well, it's because they're living their lives in 2D without a 3D reality. It's amazing how much 3D brings everything else to life. Jesus, James says that's arrogance. You know, of all the people I've met with for counseling over the years, I'd guess that about 80%, I'm just guessing, of the problems would absolutely go away if they would submit themselves to the reality of vertical thinking rather than just living horizontally. So James, in verse 15, says, Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will, do, we will live and do this or that. See, the this, the, this, the this or that was never the problem. Going to a town, doing trade, make, that was never the problem. It's just that that's all they said. It's not necessarily saying the words that's important, though. James is not suggesting that everything we say, that, I'm going to get a shake, God willing. I'm going to go over here and shake your hand, God willing. Well, it looks like God will be shake our hands. The Bible's not full of people saying their plans and then saying God willing afterwards. It'd be a huge Bible. It's not the words literally. It's the attitude that he's talking about here, an attitude expressed by the words as a fixed perspective from which to view all of life, even the practical. Of course, the Bible clearly teaches elsewhere that it's good to make plans, a lot of people, good people, making plans in the Bible. It's good to make a profit. The Bible has that, says that every, all over the place. And it's good to invest for the future. That's just good wisdom. The Bible commends the ant for gathering food in the summer to guarantee a supply in the winter, for example, in Proverbs. The godly woman, godly woman in Proverbs 31, is commended for her prudent planning and investing that makes a profit. That's a, that's a wise thing, it says. A godly thing. And in fact, to refuse to plan and refuse to make a profit may be a sign of laziness. Now, that is condemned in the Bible. There are humble, vertical ways to plan and profit. But think back on your life and a big decision you've made. Maybe a big decision about a new job. Big decision on where to move. Big decision on a relationship in your life. How'd you make the decision? Did you just talk to yourself? Was it a 2D decision or a 3D decision? What, consider, what considerations came into that decision? Where did God, who controls everything, owns you, where did he factor in? Just 2D thinking or have you learned to think and plan in 3D. Have you learned to say, if the Lord wills, this is an attitude over your plans, over your dreams, over your definition of success. Can you? Can you do that? Over who you date, over who you marry, over where you work, over where you live. See, it's not a matter of Looking for signs. That's not what it means to live a vertical. I need to find a sign. I'll, oh, there's a dove. That means God wants me to live on dove lane. That's not what, that's chaos. 
that's just like reading tea leaves. And, and, you know, our heart finds any sign that we want to find and call that God, and we sanctify our own plans by calling it a sign from God. That's chaos. That's not how the Bible tells us that we should do vertical living. It's the attitude and the mind and heart. Life is, the attitude James says, life is only temporary. And every day, every moment we live is by the will of God and is a gift of God. Life is a loan from God, and we don't own our life. God does. We're not in control of our life. God is. That's the third. It's the vertical mindset. It's the practice of prayer on the practical level with an awareness that God is the Lord. God is the owner. God is the controller of your life. That's learning to think and live in 3D. Everything comes alive then. Everything's seen clearer. And decisions are made better. Now, for me, a great start has been the Lord to, to start to recalibrate myself in a vertical mindset when I catch myself living merely, merely horizontally, and I do a lot, is the Lord's Prayer. The great thing about the Lord's Prayer is that most of us have it memorized. Or at least it would be easy to memorize. It's, it's, it's found in, as the worship team comes back up, I'll give them a chance to get up here. But let's just read. It's in Matthew 6, chapter 8. I just want to read this. It says, Jesus says, he's talking about your heavenly father and how we view all of life. And he says, your father knows what you need before you ask him. He's in control. He knows all things. And your life is alone. This, then, Jesus says, is how you should pray. Now, catch this. Our father in heaven, you're the one who controls. You own my life. You made me. My life is alone, and my life is temporary. Hallowed be your name. Glorified be your name. Cherished above all else be your name. Most treasured in my life be your name. You are the I am. You are my creator. You are my security. You're the one I trust in for every detail of my life. Your will is always good. Your loving kindness is everlasting. Your faithfulness is beyond comprehension. I, I trust you. You're my Father. Glorified be your name in my life. Glorified be your name in my decisions, my family, my work. May your kingdom come. Your kingdom that gives life and your kingdom that brings goodness in my heart and my soul and my mind in my family, in their lives, in my work, in my community. May your will be done. Remember Jesus said, take this cup from me when he didn't want to go to the cross, but then he finished it up and said, not my will though, but your will be done. I love that because it lets me know I can pray about anything I'm anxious about, anything I'm concerned about. I don't have to wonder, is this the will of God before I pray it? I can just pray it and then I can say, but your will be done. But your will be done, not mine. I'm telling you what I want. Not my will, but your will be done. Because your will's best. You control everything, so I might as well submit to your will. You own me, you own everything in my life, so I might as well submit to your will. Instead of fighting a lost battle and be a box of ashes in the end. Give us today our daily bread. How practical is that? Everything in my life. God gives and God provides. And what he's provided is what I need. 
he defines success. And forgive us our debts, that's a word that means trespasses, sins, as we also have forgiven our debtors, those who have sinned against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. See, that's a vertical view of life. And I have found that when I pray that, I try to pray it every morning. Be good probably if I pray it every night. But I find when I pray that, I recalibrate. I take what was offline and 2D thinking, and I go online with the reality of God's 3D universe. I encourage you to do the same. Would you pray with me as I pray the Lord's Prayer? You don't have to say it out loud. I'll just pray it. Pray it in your heart to God. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Amen.